A predominantly black church in Colorado Springs is accusing police and the El Paso County District Attorney's Office of racial and religious discrimination. The Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has filed a federal lawsuit claiming authorities didn't properly investigate a $20,000 theft. Chief Investigative Reporter Chelsea Brinsel is live outside the church on Windchime Place to explain. Chelsea. Bart and Lauren, this all started with church members here who say they were trying to help out a family in need. They paid to put up the family in an apartment and then furnished it. And then when the family cut ties with the church, the lawsuit says they took off of the furniture and police failed to properly investigate. A 23 page lawsuit filed in federal court by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church accuses Colorado Springs Police and the El Paso County District Attorney's Office of violating church members civil and religious rights. It was so outrageous, uh, so without merit, we felt that this was a personal targeted attack against the church and its parishioners. The case centers around what took place at an apartment the church paid for and allowed a struggling family to stay at. The lawsuit says in August, the church learned that the family was in violation of the church apartment lease regarding the possession and use of a firearm to threaten an individual. The church says it advised the family of the violation and gave them 30 days notice to move out, stating that they needed to leave the $20,000 worth of furniture and other church property inside. But when that 30 days was up, the family was still there. Church members went to the property to change the locks. The lawsuit claims the family granted them permission to enter the apartment. But shortly after, they say a tenant brandished a gun and a young boy came out with a baseball bat. Church members say they immediately left and called police. The church vice president says police never contacted them for an interview about what happened. But police quickly turned suspicion to the church members and charged them with several felony crimes, including burglary and stalking related to that day. Eventually, the family living in the church apartment moved out and the $20,000 worth of church property was gone. The Colorado Springs Fellowship claims police never investigated their report about the alleged theft. According to the lawsuit, the church says defendants racially profiled the plaintiffs and assumed, at least partly because of their race, that they presented an enhanced threat to public safety. They looked the other way. They did nothing. And to this day, they have not been arrested. They have not been charged. That's unequal justice. The El Paso County District Attorney's Office declined to comment on this lawsuit, telling 13 investigates that there is an ongoing criminal case against church members. The Colorado Springs Police Department did not respond to our request for comment. Reporting live in Colorado Springs, Chelsea Brenzel, 13 investigates. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we deal with the ongoing civil uh, investigation, civil rights, uh, excuse me, civil rights violation lawsuit that has been filed against the Colorado Springs Police Department, the District Attorney's Office, the City of Colorado Springs, as we again will deal with the lack of transparency. What is going on? We continue this series here probably for the next couple of weeks. But tonight, so again, uh, very special thanks to KDO and Chelsea uh, Bitzel 
who reported on that story. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now, if it happens to us, and if it happens to any group of people, any church, any organization, it can happen to you. Tonight, we again roll the page back and take a look at the misconduct of Detective Brian Carrado and the Colorado Springs Police Department and all those involved. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your seat. AJC Radio takes off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dennis Merritt, Clinton Stewart, William Williams, Dave Zafolo, and Samson Riddle, the entire AJC radio team tonight as we get ready to continue uh, the really uncovering of actions and really highly questionable behavior uh, that borderlines criminal uh, regarding Detective Corrado and the lawsuit that has been filed uh, by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church for the conduct uh, so outrageous that uh, it, it, it deemed a, a federal lawsuit needed to be filed. Uh, it was the only thing that we actually, uh, looking at it, uh, it was the only option on the table for the uh, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church to actually do. David, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, people have to fight. Um, it, it appears that corruption in some form or fashion may be an intractable problem in law enforcement. Uh, in one form or another, like I said, that doesn't discount the people who serve honorably and with and treat people fair and true. But it all, there always seems to be an issue where African Americans have got to fight some of the most basic uh, issues and basic uh, malfeasance from law enforcement. It's just it's just really hard to. Uh, to wrap your head around why police officers and prosecutors and even, in some cases, judges do what they do. Um, at the end of the day, you, you, we're finding out that the system is based almost totally on cronyism. And they just, police, prosecutors, and judges kind of work together. It's almost an us-against-them mentality. Uh, due process, uh, that doesn't really exist. It can be manipulated uh, to to do whatever they want. They manipulate the, the due process to uh, get the outcome that they're looking for. And if they just seem they just seem to turn, uh, and everybody seems to collude together to uh, do things that that's just unlawful. Oh, absolutely, Samson. Your thoughts. Well, I mean, you hear about it so often, you know, I mean, if, I wish this was just a rare case uh, along, just with this this police department alone. But there's, I mean, there's so many skeletons in the closet of the Colorado Springs uh, Police Department. This is just another one added to the stack. The fact of the matter is that they, these so-called officers and this detective did not even, you know, go through the entire process of an, a lawful investigation. It was completely one-sided. You never hear anything from the parishioners that are now undergoing, you know, investigation. You never hear anything um, that was cited from the, the side of the church. All we hear is from the residents that were there that violated, the, you know, the code of conduct. They violated the rules that were there. And on top of that, they stole $20,000 worth of uh, 
church property, and yet the church is the one that is being, you know, having its reputation drug around. They're being given the runaround by a police department, and they're not getting justice. Yeah. That, that's the fact. That's what's happening in this case. And you know, the the fact that it's being allowed and at the upper echelons of the police department and local government here, it's an absolute atrocity. Well, no, without question, we're going to get to all of that uh, uh, on this show, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Feel free to dial in at six four six two hundred zero six two eight. Six four six two hundred zero six two eight. And one note uh, on this as well: a, a restraining order has been filed against Arnisha Gainer, uh, against Nisi Jenkins, uh, as a result of conduct uh, really unbecoming that she can't do. Uh, that now has happened. Uh, the saga unfolds more and more as we look at this, and this is the this is who. The district attorney's office is feeling comfortable enough with, uh, with all of these issues. We have a, a report, a theft report on, on Nick and Arnisha Gaynor, stealing over $20,000 of property, prompting a, a, a civil rights violation lawsuit, a uh, federal lawsuit. We have now a judge that has said and issued a restraining order against Arnisha Gaynor uh, that, that the puzzle continues to come together. And if that's what you have to solidify this type of garbage, I guarantee you, you're not going to get very far. Uh, and we're going to continue to report it here right here on Agency Radio. Folks, call, call a friend, call a neighbor, whoever you need to call that needs to take a look at what's going on in law enforcement, not only in Colorado Springs, across the country. It is a domino effect, and we're going to definitely uncover that tonight. This is Agency Radio. We'll be right back. line and not a drying line. Do fish get thirsty? 
if ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families. Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, We can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. Focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have joined the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love. Compassion and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same. Ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grimmie Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Uh, again, a federal lawsuit being filed by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church uh, in regards to the violation of civil rights of parishioners uh, at Colorado Springs Fellowship Church uh, by the really misconduct of Colorado Springs Police Department, uh, Chief Niski, uh, an enabler of this type of uh, behavior with Detective Brian Corrado, uh, Deputy Chief of Police, uh, Adrian Vasquez, again, another enabler, uh, who simply sat back and failed to do uh, nothing uh, in regards to these types of concerns that were raised at the onset of what was going on uh, when attempts, again, that we knew were going to be made is this uh, Nick and Arnisha Gaynor uh, plotted and premeditated steps in order to steal church property uh, and to go uh, uh, unimpeded in that process because if we could make up some type of phony, uh, uh, unverified charges against the uh, parishioners that are involved here, then perhaps we don't have anybody looking over our shoulder at the time that we choose to steal this church property. Uh, had a thorough investigation been done, uh, these things would have been learned. Uh, automatically, no charges would have, not any reasonable person would have brought charges given the fact that both sides were actually heard. And that has been the concern here. Uh, I, we call it unequal justice, that if, if I can uh, hide behind this cloak of uh, falsehood, if you will, given by the gainers, uh, and as an officer targeting and being biased racially as well as religiously, biased against Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and its parishioners, then I can get away with that. The bottom line is that when violations of law occur, it is the responsibility of those who are victims of such conduct that they be brought to justice, that they be uncovered for the schemes and things that were put in place here uh, in regards to this type of behavior. Dave Zapolo, go ahead. And one of the things, that, and this is a baffling situation, it really is, because if you look at this, if this was a corporate apartment and the person was fired from the corporation, and the corporation called the police and said, look, they won't leave the apartment, and they're trying to take the furniture, the police would have gone right over there and arrested the person. Right. They wouldn't have even questioned the corporation. No. So why is it different in this case? Because it's the church? That's, what, that's the only difference. It's ridiculous. And that's what it looks like. It looks like there's a bias, as, as Lamont was talking about earlier. There's, a, there's prejudice here. I don't care what nobody say. How can you... As a police officer, conduct an investigation and only speak to one, you know, you know, one of the litigants. It, it doesn't make sense to me. So it tells us that, uh, and, and no matter how you look at it, black church has a lot to do with the way this, this case was handled. So no matter how people try to cover it up, not the police, you know, they're just trying to do their job. No. Something is here, and we need to find out what it is, and I'm sure it's going to come out, that this police officer, I guarantee you, has something against that church, well, our well, church. Well, I mean, well, it's just ridiculous. Well, it's self-evident. It's not something that uh, we have to go to the drawing board and figure out. The fact is, you talk to one side of a, 
as a claim, and you rush to judgment well, I mean, without any further investigating at all. Uh, it's clear. That's why the federal lawsuit is there. Wait a minute. You didn't do your job at all. And then when it's brought to your attention that you didn't do your job, Deputy Adrian Vasquez, when you were talked to about it, you gave a politically correct answer. Well, we'll, we'll see what we can do. You didn't do anything. You did nothing. Otherwise, no one would be in the situation that they are now. Demetrius, a month, well, one of the things when Dave was talking about on the corporate side, look at the, what if this Nisky, what if this was their church? See, that's the problem I have, like to Dennis's point, at the black church. What if it was uh, another large church, one of the larger churches here, New Life? What if uh, uh, Brian Corrado's church? What, would he have taken this same stand? No, he would have investigated to the fullest, knowing, hey, that's my church. So the point is, you have to be fair as an investigator, and it's clearly not, but that's what bothers me from the mayor to, like you said, Chief Niski. What if it was their church that reached out to a couple in this, uh, in this community, and they took 20000 I guarantee you we would have some arrests. I guarantee you they would be. So that, have that same passion when it's a small black church here that supported the police department. Well, the bottom line is nobody's doing what Colorado State Fellowship is doing. Exactly. The outreach. Exactly. It's not happening. It, look, if there's been no history of churches feeding the entire law enforcement agency and departments here in 25 years, the churches you cite, none of these things that Colorado Springs Fellowship has done in outreach in this community is, is second to none. Nobody is even coming close in the shadow of the outreach done by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. So there's no danger there because people don't do it. Colorado Springs Fellowship did. Pastor Rose Banks said, we're going to do something that impacts the lives of these officers in a good way, reach out above and beyond what in 25 years has never been done here. That should tell you a lot, a heck of a lot about it. Is it that we don't want to give credit to this church for the self-evident acts of kindness and support that it has shown towards law enforcement in this community? And this is this, this didn't start yesterday. For 40 years, Colorado Springs Fellowship has stepped out and set and raised the bar when it came to doing acts of kindness to communities and to businesses and to law enforcement and to organizations. It's, it's a record. This is what the church does. And the fact is, uh, this was a targeted attempt. This was not something that was not targeted. This was a clear target against this church, Colorado Springs Baptist Church, Pastor Rose Banks. Uh, and I'll tell you what, thus the federal lawsuit has been filed to bring people and hold those accountable for what they did. Clint, go ahead. Yeah, you see, uh, Colorado Springs uh, Police Department has a, a grade in their police scorecard of 49 percent. That's an F. Uh, the blacks in Colorado Springs is six and a half percent, but yet, uh, as far as people killed in Colorado Springs by police, they're 21 percent. The 350 uh, percent of, of have a, a greater chance for blacks to be killed by police than whites. And this is clearly, if you look at the police scorecard, their record Speaks is right itself. there, speak for itself. 
for that, sure. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and that I mean everything else that's on the table that we're talking about so far. Then look at the the, the process, the investigation that's that, that's actually going on here. When is it actually moral or legal to coach one side to actually how to steal the property? Oh, we're just going to address this as a civil matter. We're not going to prosecute this. So you can go ahead and take twenty thousand dollars worth of property that doesn't belong to you. You look up any definition, any Webster's dictionary anywhere. That's you take something that doesn't belong to you. It's called theft. Well, Grand Larson, Grand at, Mar- the, exactly. at the $20,000 mark, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's over the top. William? You know, as you were talking, one of the things I, I want our listeners to understand is the way this church reached out to CSPD, reached out to the Sheriff's Department. I mean, I was there and I saw it. You know, when you t- you're taking breakfast to these guys at shift changes, you're having uh, dinner served to them at the, at the Sheriff's Department. I mean, it's, it was a huge outreach. So this church is a known commodity to the brass of, of CSPD as far as their charity, as far as reaching out. I mean, during that time, during the whole Let's Talk time, you know, reaching out to them because Eric Gardner had been choked to death by four NYPD officers. It's like the pastor reaches out and says, listen, we need to bridge this gap because there are some good officers there. There are those that are willing to run into the line of fire to protect those that they swore to protect. But there are the bad apples. So this is not the, – the, the church did not reach, to the, reach out to them on one occasion. This was many occasions over years reaching out to them. And now they become a target by a group and when reached out to and say, hey, guys, this is Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Re- they have a history of reaching out to people, extending hands to, to families, and they have been – and they were ripped off. $20,000 of their property has been gone, and you guys did not get their side of the story? You know what? Didn't, no one contacted the, the board of the church to get their side of the story, what was going on? They knew all the information. I mean, you could see that the, that the church department, it was the department was, it was in the church's name according to the lease. So why didn't they reach out? Why didn't they simply pick up a phone, call, phone and make a call and say, hey, listen, this is officer such and such. Colorado Springs Police Department. It just didn't happen. So the, the reason why I'm speaking up is that the police department knows the church. They know the history of the church, and they did nothing about it. Well, and absolutely right, Kendrick. And uh, I just kind of have a theory here, speaking what Dennis was talking about, like why. Uh, if you remember at the beginning of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, Colorado Springs Fellowship stood up for the religious freedoms of not only uh Fells of Church, but for every church in the state that, hey, we sh- should be allowed to have religious freedoms to be able to worship even during this outbreak. And that, that stance even prompted the governor of Colorado to make a ruling that, hey, you know what, let's allow churches, as long as they're practicing social distancing, to continue to worship. Maybe that's kind of the uh, catalyst is that that went against even what the mayor or what the city would have liked to happen, but we are protected under the Constitution, uh, churches and religious uh, institutions, to worship freely. So it, it kind of kind of makes you say, hmm, why would you not hear a church's plea that we are victims of theft, and you just make the choice that to go against standing law, anyone that has property stolen has a right to report that theft and have the uh, local law enforcement investigate and see if you can recover 
that lost stolen property. So maybe there is a little something behind the scenes uh, in agreement with Dennis that maybe there's a little uh, reasoning that uh, oh. that could be paying a plan here because uh, uh, College Street Fellowship has been a, a huge, uh, not only just a, a pillar of, of community outreach, but they've been very staunch in, in standing up to for the constitutional right to worship. And, and, that, and that benefit helped all religious institutions in this state. Well, look, precedence was set. Uh, the governor made a decision. Uh, they were closing houses of worship. Colorado Springs Fellowship responded, telling the governor, look, we understand your position. We don't necessarily agree with it. This was this is what was written. The church made that statement clear, and that it is the, it was the church's belief that they could remain open uh, based upon your religious right. The governor, within five minutes, again reported by Chelsea Brinsel of KRDO, uh, great reporter out there, um, said, "Look, we submitted." Uh, she said to to the church, we submitted your response within five minutes. The governor says we will amend the order, allowing all houses of worship to remain open, provided they practice uh, as best they could social distancing. Uh, that's adherence to the law. The church adhered to the law. Uh People didn't like it. Makes you think. You got a lot of hate mail as a result of it. But at the end of the day, the church for 40 years has adhered to the law of what's expected of them because they happen to have made a decision to petition the governor's office and say, we'd like you to listen to this, Mr. Governor. In return, he did so. In return, he amended the order that all houses of worship could remain open. Congress Wings Fellowship did what they were what they were allowed to do and what they felt was right, and the governor honored it. Well, there's there's another point I think uh, what Ken and Dennis was talking about is very interesting um, to the point that there's really nothing to see here. Uh, you basically had a property dispute. The only thing that if, if it went negative, it was a result of it was a result of them actually brandishing a firearm and bringing a bat out, uh, as you see according to the lawsuit. Well, if it's a property dispute, the police show up, they disperse everybody. Nothing to see here. Well, let's talk about, let's go get the property. Whose property is it? Police can make a decision. Well, uh, you're saying it's your property. They're saying it's their property. Uh, just prove it's their property, and we'll let you go get your property. And the whole, there was no need to bring any sort of criminal matter in. This was a basic civil dispute at the time, yet the police got involved. It just seems like overreach, and it you only can characterize it as a witch hunt against the church. That's exactly what it was, exactly what it is. Uh, nobody wants to deal with that. We're going to deal with it. Uh, 
it becomes a witch hunt when you fail to do your job. If you've done it fairly, no one can call it a witch hunt. Your conduct, your conduct gave the definition equal to witch hunt because you didn't talk to the church. That's the bottom line. And there's no, there's no other way around that. So uh, those issues we've got to deal. And I, I, I'm going I'm to second Sampson's uh, statement. Good officers out there. Very good police officers. We have no issue with that. Uh, and we honor those that honor the badge. If you don't honor that badge and you dishonor citizens, it's our job to speak out against it. And that's what we're going to do. So to all the officers that are out here putting their lives on the line, uh, it is what it is. We salute you tonight on this show. But it's our job to expose the wrong as well as the good. Uh, and AJC Radio, is, is our reputation is known to do just that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, coming back, we should be coming back with Commander Couch. He's going to chime in on this conversation. Uh, and we're looking forward to that talk as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio again. The lack of transparency in law enforcement, uh, in, even in our own backyard, Detective Brian Corrado, a veteran who knows better, uh, simply looked the other way. And his chief, Niski, as well as Deputy Chief Adrian Vasquez, uh, there's, one, there's one thing that you call folks that do that. Uh, they lack integrity. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. This is Julie. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call... You can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too, because some veterans are being left behind. 20 of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. I'll be honest. 
resume. I'm what I'm used to. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs and to help my parents pay the bills. I need problem-solving skills. I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have been discussing the federal lawsuit, civil rights violation lawsuit against the Colorado Springs Police Department, uh, Detective Corrado, Chief Niski, uh, Deputy Chief Adrian Vasquez, uh, the three amigos, if you will, that are involved with this type of targeting and bias um, racial as well as religious against Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Um, and we're going we're gonna to definitely speak to those issues. Uh, Commander Couch has, was, a, was a guest on here a few weeks ago, uh, consecutive weeks. Uh, he gave a different perspective. Uh, his words are, somebody has to stand up in leadership and call this type of behavior out. Uh, Commander, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much, Commander. We know that you ran into a little of a roadblock to actually be in studio uh, with us tonight, but we yes. appreciate you taking the steps to uh, to uh, come on in line and give your perspective of this. I know we had talked a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about uh, addressing the issue of CSPD, uh, and uh, I quote uh, that you, you state here that I have an issue with CSPD because someone in internal affairs leaked an investigation to Colorado Springs Independent uh, before the appeals process was complete, uh, Colorado Springs Police Department treats their officers like dogs. Uh, no one is going to know that unless they are actually uh, on the front lines. Uh, we took you as being part of that. So why don't you go and elaborate on that, uh, Commander, and give us your thoughts of what you meant. So back in, I believe it was 2019, there was an internal affairs investigation opened by the Colorado Springs Police Department. And it was it was looking into some uh, conduct, off-duty conduct of some of their their police officers that had some side jobs, which mm -hmm. that is really common in the law enforcement and the you know fire department world. That's that's just pretty common. During the investigation and before uh, these officers had had a chance to. Uh, you know, go through any appeals process and before anything was really adjudicated on to those officers, someone from the inside leaked the every every name of every officer that was involved in that internal affairs investigation. Uh, and at this, and you've got to remember at that point that the, the the information was leaked about who was involved and what the allegations were. 
these officers had not been found to be guilty of anything. And that was leaked right. to a Colorado Springs independent reporter by the name of uh, Pam Zubek, which, uh, you know, she's I wouldn't call her necessarily a reporter. I would call or a journalist. I would call her an editorial uh, mm-hmm. reporter, so to speak, because it's extremely okay. biased. You know, um, although she did reach out to uh, the, the officers, you know, we, we're not able, you know, those officers are not able to talk about that while that's going on. And their and their supervisors who was investigating this should never have spoken out about that. Understood. And and your statement that the CSPD treats their officers like dogs, what what was that in reference to? Yeah, that's that was a pretty general statement. There are a lot of good supervisors in CSPD and there are a lot of good officers in CSPD, but the officers that I've talked to, that's how they feel. The officers that I've talked to that work there and there's more than one, they feel, they have suffered at the hands of what they described to me as total corruption wow. by some members of that agency. And they have suffered uh, with emotional issues at home. They have, they have, they've been harmed. They have actually mm-hmm. been harmed. You know, some of them have been in deep depressions about what has happened to them, and some of them had ha- have had to get uh, some some treatment. I mean, a lot of people don't. I guess a lot of people don't realize that this is a, a t- just one of those types of careers. I guess probably like you know, you know, being a physician or something very they're very serious and important. You have to go to school and and you want to keep for at least twenty years and, and that you really enjoy. When you are targeted by your agency in a corrupt way for whatever reason, that is devastating. These people have families. They have children. It was, it, a lot of these officers have been totally devastated by what had happened. Well, and, and to that point, Commander, I think why this is – to that point, why when you allow an officer like Detective Carrado – uh, as we have, as, as he has been named in, a, in the federal civil rights violation lawsuit, when you allow an officer, and we talked about this on the show when you were here, if leadership doesn't step up and say we're not going to allow it, uh, then the officers who are targets, they're easier to become targets of being mistreated by their department. You know why? Because they're allowing such conduct and behavior to just go unpunished. You, you let an officer or a rogue officer run rogue in your department and does something like this. Now you have a black eye on the entire department, the city of Colorado Springs, the district attorney's office. You know why? Because no leadership at the top is doing anything. That would be my definition of treating your officers like dogs because guess what? We'll let Detective Corrado get away and we'll defend his position. We're not going to go after him. We'll say we'll do. We'll speak politically correctness, but that's about it. Nobody stands up and says, "Wait a minute, what you did to this church, what you did to those members, those families, what you did to them, and humiliating them, having these people who've never been in trouble with the law be stripped out, humiliated in a county jail lockup, some of them forced out of their jobs." Oh, yeah, we have a problem. 
So when the leadership fails to act and do their job, it's not on the officers that suffer that you referenced tonight. Man, what about the families of the, the victims, the parishioners here who did nothing but go and try to retrieve church property? That's it. But they've been criminalized and put in, in front of a courtroom and all of these not, these these things that were so uh, unnecessary. Uh, that that's unacceptable. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and what you're talking about as far as uh, the leadership of any agency, when they allow things that shouldn't be happening to happen, they're feeding that culture uh, that that permeates down through all levels of the agency. Um, there's another agency in this region that's experiencing a lot of problems due to a, a toxic culture. I won't name the agency. It will be out in the news in due time, you know, within probably a couple of weeks. But um, I talked to a lot of officers from every agent, you know, from pretty much every agency in this region because uh, they know that they can trust me and they know that they can call me if there's some kind of corruption going on in their agency or if if uh, they they know of something that they want to get that out there. And the reason why, Mr. Banks, the reason why these officers are silent right now is not because they're bad cops. It is because they're scared. They are they have a family to feed. If you get into an IA, an internal affairs investigation in this state, and you're you're found to be in the wrong, you could lose your whole career and your whole uh, your whole financial structure could collapse. That is the law. That's the way the laws are in Colorado right now. No, understood. Uh, I guess my uh, and if any of the hosts have any questions, feel free to direct them to the commander. I guess my position is, uh, and I understand the the. And let me ask you a question, Commander, before I go there. Have has any of CSPD reached out to you regarding this situation? Regarding the. Uh, the, no, the corruption. No, they have not. They have not. Oh, and, uh, well, no, in, go ahead. in general, the corruption? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, they have, but not specifically to this case. Not That's correct. Not to this case. And it, it is – go ahead, Samson. Uh, I was just uh, – had a thought come to mind. You know, you said that basically if somebody gets involved in an IA investigation and – you know, they're, they're on the bad, bad side of it, you know, it could basically end their career in the whole region. So basically it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, shouldn't there be some, some logins reprisals saying, Hey, I think there's something bad going on and they report it. I mean, what exactly is there as far as coverage for those officers that do want to speak out against something? Hey, Samson, it's good to, good to hear you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't be in the studio. I miss you guys. Um, there are policies in place to protect those officers internally with, to the agency and in most cases, and there are whistleblower laws, uh, I believe both federal and maybe state, but the group that I'm standing up, this nonprofit group, we're going to do a lot of research into that, and we're going to provide resources for these officers who feel like they can't speak up when they see somebody doing something wrong in their own agency. Commander, really quick on that note. Uh... Do you understand perception-wise, right, that, look, I'm all for protecting officers if they have been wrong. I don't think anybody should have to deal with any type of wrong being done to them that there's not support out there for officers. 
However, perception-wise, if that is the focus that we need to do something for these officers, you say the officers are scared, I believe some measures should be in place uh, that will give officers the courage to come forward uh, as a result of what they see. Now, I am aware of officers, even in other places across the country, that stood up uh, and said, you know what, I'm not going to let that go. And they took a stand uh, to say, look, this is wrong. Uh, they suffered repercussions. You shared with us that uh, you stood up uh, as a result of an incident that happened at, at your department. And when you did, you suffered the repercussions of that for over 10 years. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you un so do you understand that as the public is concerned, where is the protection for the public from officers who do what Detective Corrado has done? We can talk. How do we protect officers? That's fine. If they've been wrong, let's have a support thing for them. But what are we talking about to these parishioners, victims of misconduct by officers? Where's the empathy for them? Well, it should it should be completely transparent. It should be in the forefront. Uh, there should and there is a there is a complaint process that, you know, you can go through. Um, and that's mandated by the state, by state law. There's every law enforcement agency in Colorado must have a complaint process where they are tracked, where uh, potentially they could be audited. Uh, and, and statistics collected by the state and the post board, which is the peace officer standards and training board, which is attached to the Department of Justice of the state of Colorado, the AG's office. Um, that, that should all be transparent for people to view. I am a firm believer in the sunshine laws in this state. Uh, I am a member of the Colorado Freedom of Information Association, and I'm a public information officer. You wouldn't think those two things would be congruent, but really they are because public information officers should say all that they can when they can. And to yep. like the, 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 the idea of a, a news, let's say a news cameraman going to the scene of a crime and a police officer sticking their hand over the lens of the camera. Those days are 30, 40, 50 years ago. We should not even be anywhere near that. And we've gotten away from that. And I'll be honest, in law enforcement as a whole, we have gotten away from that, and it needs to be reversed. No, absolutely. Absolutely, Commander. Uh, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on those key things. David, did you have something? Well, I just wanted to have a comment. Um, these institutions themselves are powerful. They can turn on the citizen as well as they can turn on a lower level officer who's not in the in the power structure the the higher level power structure these institutions there's institutional corruption and if you offend the institution whether you be a citizen or whether you be an officer uh they can turn the tables on you i understand the the fear of some of these officers it's like well what am i going to do I, I have a family to provide for i have children uh i have to feed and if my if my livelihood suddenly goes away, what am I going to do about my family? So th this sort of uh, this sort of uh, decision making and, and risk mitigation is what some of these officers are going through. And again, 
you probably would have more officers uh, speaking up if not for that. And whistleblower laws have proven to be, by and large, ineffective because there are different ways to get back at you through the political structure uh, where somebody makes a phone call uh, to friends. And we're we're talking another crony component to some of these institutions uh, where they can call other agencies and, and, and blackball you and still make your life miserable. So it's a very difficult thing even for an officer to speak out when they're actually going to be going against the institution, speaking truth to power, uh, whether you're an officer yeah. or whether you're you're a citizen, uh, has uh, serious consequences to it. Dave, that's a, that's a very, yeah, that, that's a very astute point that you're making because it, it comes out in, in both ways. It comes out where the citizens lose out sometimes, and it also comes out where the officers lose out sometimes. So what you do, to me, is you target the corruption itself at the top. In the in the agency, if it's there, you target the corruption, and that should fix all the problems downstream. And, hey, I'm in favor of uh, a sort of like a, an inspector general's office in this in the state of Colorado to be a supportive proponent for officers who want to report uh, corruption or misconduct. But why don't we have that? An independent body with experienced people whose integrity ha- has been tested, and we have an inspector general's office for the state of Colorado law enforcement to look into these types of complaints and make sure that the officers who feel like they're getting uh, retaliated against after they report something are are helped and, and taken care of and is looked at with a third party. Aye. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. Um, William, go ahead. Yes, Commander. I, you know, we've listened to you speak, and, and you're very passionate about what you're doing. And I was just sitting here thinking how you must feel these years of service that now you're having to police the police. You're, you're, you're championing a cause that it seems to have gotten worse over the years. And so I just wanted to know, you know, how you feel about that. I mean, you personally, you know, putting on the badge, going into work, and the need to police the police. How do you feel about that? Well, William, that, that, I love that question because I'm kind of beside myself, honestly. But I have a passion for ridding law enforcement of corruption from the inside out. As I told you guys before, it is not, it's not effective for a state legislature to start making a bunch of uh, integrity laws and forcing integrity into an organization. The key is we should already be – we should already have integrity. We work for the people. Uh, we don't own the people. Law enforcement government in general does not own anybody. We – the government works for us. And the integrity movement has to come from within, and that's the whole basis behind my nonprofit. And and we we have a website up at, at this moment. We do not have we're not able to accept donations yet, but it is policeintegrityproject.org, and it has a, a lot of other names that will connect to that. We'll we'll go into you know at the appropriate time, but that is the whole purpose behind that organization is to, to sprout that from within. There's a lot of good officers out there, and there's some bad officers, a lot of bad officers out there. And those officers might be in command positions. They got to get yeah. out. We got to no, get them out. For sure, for sure, Commander, and we appreciate uh, the uh, the 
nonprofit going forward, as we discussed on this show. Uh, we don't want to hold you. I know you're working there this evening. We appreciate you taking a few minutes, at least on this segment, uh, to discuss some issues. We've got a couple of guests coming on. You're welcome to stay with us uh, and chime in in the conversation, or if you have things to get to you, we'll, we'll respect that as well. What, what works for you, Commander? I'd be happy to stay. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming back. Uh, that's Commander Greg Couch. Uh, uh, given some insight, uh, he's commander, I believe, of Woodland Park uh, uh, Police Department, uh, and he is the commander uh, there, kind of like, the, I presume, the overseer, uh, looking to do some things that uh, will help the problems that we're talking about here tonight. Uh, uh, transparency. Officers scared to come forward um, uh, in situations where they're threatened. Uh, I am aware that there are actual threats of life uh, and bodily harm, families threatened in situations. That's why leadership is vital uh, in setting the standard and, the, and, and really setting the bar of what will or will not be uh, is critically important by leadership. Commander Couch will be coming back. We're going to be also joined by Howard Henderson. Uh, he's professor, School of Public Affairs, Director, Center for Justice Research at Texas Southern University. Uh, we're going to have him uh, as well as we're going to be bringing on uh, Rachel Moran. Uh, she's associate professor of law at the University of St. Thomas, uh, Minnesota School of Law. We're going to be having her perspective as we get into this discussion, ladies and gentlemen, transparency, the lack thereof, and even addressing what we've addressed thus far in our own backyard, uh, a lack of transparency. And I'll tell you what, tensions are high. We'll deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, 
children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. This discussion, without question, has gotten very informative, uh, but very passionate in regards to what this issue is. Uh, Commander Couch is, is joining us again. We're going to bring our two other guests on here momentarily. Uh, Commander Couch, are you with us? I am. All right, Commander, we had a, a, a call that it had a question. I'm going to go ahead and put the question to you, is that if we talk about the top if we go or, or people go to the top to find uh, answers where you're not getting those answers from the conduct of these officers, if the top will not even look at it and say, look, we're here to help you understand and do the right thing, then if we can't or people or citizens can't go to the top of these, of these institutions with no answers, then where, does, where do the people go? if they can't get it from the top and the superiors of these officers. So unfortunately, the way the system is designed currently, you know, your only option is to try to uh, go take it to a courtroom, which is what you guys are doing. And I applaud you for doing that. If that's, you know, that's your right. Um, a lot of people before you have done, done the same, but here's, here's the problem with the court the court route, and then I'll get into why I think that you're unable to reach the top. So the problem with the court route is a lot of people don't have the wherewithal and the means to hire an attorney and take these things to a court. And in my own experience, there seems to be a lot of apathy at the, at the, uh, at these, at the civil rights level of courts in this state to help people. Um, attorneys, I, I looked into an attorney. It was going to cost me, I think, a $10,000 retainer. I don't have that kind of disposable income. You know, who does? 
Uh, it's only because an organization may have that type of money they can get some things done. So that's the problem with the, you know, the, the addressing of these issues. It, it goes to a civil civil type court system, and the other part of it is is the city and and every government agency has usually good attorneys that work for them, and they their job is to protect any kind of liability and they mitigate that to their agency. But what does a citizen have? All the citizen has is a complaint process that is usually cut at about a mid-level management level. Those decisions that are made on complaints normally are handled and disposed of by a mid-level management employee. Wow. Uh, and it just makes me thinking out loud, you know, maybe yeah. maybe there should be a rule that if you disagree with the disposition of a complaint that you have filed with a police department, there should be some kind of process to where you can uh, maybe have it reviewed by an outside independent agency, like I mentioned earlier, or maybe you you you, you should be able to push that up to the top, you know, the executive levels of, of a law enforcement agency for review. Well, and I think what happens, and then the, you have Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Story was never heard. Side was never heard. In any way. And then you talk, and I, and I don't mean to sound coy, but then you talk about, uh, you know, you, you, you got to go to the courts. Then what is the chain of command system in place for? That, but the integrity lacks at, the, at these institutions. Integrity would tell you, right, we stand with what the CSPD should be saying. We stand for what's right. We will hear the side of Colorado Springs Fellowship which changes this entire portrait. It changes it completely because guess what? Once you find out of the outreach done by Colorado Springs Fellowship, that this was an act of kindness, uh, and it was a hand up uh, for this family as they tried to put their lives back together. But we're all free, free citizens. If we decide at any time, hey, you know what? I'm, I don't want to be part of this church anymore. No, the door is unlocked. The door is not locked. You can walk out that door anytime, but you're not taking $20,000 worth of furniture with you. It's not going to happen. And it goes against the entire protocols uh, and rules in place that every church has, every organization has. If you see fit not to adhere to those rules, you are free to walk away. But you're not going to steal from the church. It's not going to be accepted, as Dave alluded to, with if you're dealing with Oracle or Microsoft or any company that I travel into Denver, Ohio, or Texas, and I'm in a corporate apartment, I dare you to try to take uh, pictures off the wall and back up a U-Haul to that corporate apartment. You will be locked up. But because of the church, well, we don't see it that way. You don't see it that way because you choose not to. Um, but thank you for the for the for the answer to that question, Commander. I appreciate that. We're going sure. to get more, probably more to you here momentarily. I want to bring our other guests on. They're both uh, uh, are here to join in this conversation. Professor Howard Henderson, Ph.D., Professor School of Public Affairs, Director Center for Justice Research at Texas Southern University. Uh, uh, Mr. Henderson, are you with us? 
I'm here. I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm glad I had the opportunity to hear part of that. It's a good conversation. Well, thank you. We are, we are honored to have you uh, and take time out of your schedule to be part of this discussion. We believe you'll have a lot to offer this discussion. And again, a very special thank you for uh, for joining us tonight. I'm going to bring in our other guests, and we're just going to have a panel conversation along with our host here uh, as we get further into this discussion. Uh, Commander Greg Couch is the gentleman, uh, Mr. Henderson, who's on the phone. He is the, uh, they make a correction, he is the commander of Keller County uh, uh uh, for the law enforcement team out there in Keller County. So uh, he's been on our show a few times, and he's added to this conversation as well. Uh, right now, I'd like to introduce Rachel Moran. Uh, she is Associate Professor of Law at the University of St. Thomas, uh, Minnesota School of Law. Uh, Ms. Moran, are you with us? I am, yes. Thank you. And thank you so much again. We are honored to have you on our show tonight to add your perspective as well. So we're going to uh, between the, the, the us, our listeners, and the, and the three of you on this panel, uh, we should be able to get into some good conversation. Uh, I don't know what you guys heard thus far uh, on the show, and 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 uh, Mr. Henderson, I want to start with you uh, talking about what's going on here in our backyard in Colorado Springs, dealing the, dealing with the CSPD. Uh, there has been a civil rights violation, federal lawsuit filed uh, against the Colorado Springs Police Department, as well as uh, the uh, district attorney's office uh, on the issue that we've been discussing here with a church being really a target, not only racially, but religiously. Uh, and that lawsuit has been filed, reported here in the local media for, for ABC News. Um, your thoughts, uh, Mr. Henderson, of what you've heard thus far? Yeah, you know, interesting uh, conversation. I, I, and I think the commander, uh, you know, I really appreciate, you know, his perspective and his solutions that he's thrown out. But we've worked with uh, police leadership all over the country, and, and many of them uh, share his passion for reforming policing from the inside. Um, but there's a challenge there to doing that, and that is he's simply outnumbered. And it's, 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 it's become, uh, unfortunately, a us versus them reality in many of these departments around the country, which is very sad. But I think that the elephant in the room revolves around how it has been made possible that police have become this way. And I think that until you understand the role of police unions in this conversation, then nothing gets done because they are uh, the foundation to many of these issues. And, and the reason why I say that the research has been very clear. When you have police unions and you have the collective bargaining rights, research has told us that they're 40% more likely to be involved in, in misconduct and oftentimes violent misconduct. Uh, other research has showed us that when you look at police union contracts, you find that those contracts are significantly associated with killing unarmed citizens. The, the research is very clear what those factors are that increase the likelihood of misconduct on the part of the police. What's not very clear is how police officers from the inside can transform policing. And so we, we had a recent case where police officer took the commander's very same position, and within six months, he was fired from the job. So I think the commander is, is spot on when he says that many of these officers on the inside who want to fix it, they're afraid, they are afraid, the, 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 but the problem is, it, it's almost like 
take a cigarette from an inmate when you're a guard. If you are there for one moment and you witness misconduct and don't do anything about it, you're tied into that system. And so now they're trying to fix it, but it's almost too late in many regards. And so I think that's the, the motivation behind so many frustrations around the country is because people are so tired. And I think we're ushering into a new form of policing that we've never seen before. And I, I think it's going to take everyone pushing in that direction. But unfortunately, we're going to need more people than the folks on the inside. It's going to have to be legislated from the Supreme Court. It's going to have to be legislated from the judicial branch, the executive branch, uh, police chiefs, mayors, city councils, uh, governors. It's going to take everyone taking the approach that we took with COVID-19 to fix this problem because it, it's been with us forever. And it's going to take more than people working on the inside to fix policing. Because it's just that bad. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, these are challenges we're facing. Ms. Moran, your thoughts on that? Well, the conversation has really touched on some interesting things in my areas of research. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I study police accountability and particularly whether giving the public access to information about police misconduct has any effect on policing behavior and whether that whether that harms uh, the police department like you hear from the rank and file officers or whether that's actually beneficial to the community and the department um, so it's a really interesting conversation one thing I'll say just to um, build off of what professor Henderson was commenting uh, about a year and a half ago I did a survey of 350 or so law enforcement administrators, so police chiefs primarily, also a few sheriffs, um, in states that do give the public greater access to information about police misconduct. And um, what I heard, and I asked them, you know, do you have experience with disclosing information about misconduct to the citizenry? Has that harmed your department or has it benefited the department? Can you give me specific examples of benefits or harm? And um, one thing that was, I mean, there are a lot of things I could say about that survey, but one thing that was really interesting was nobody had tangible examples of serious harm to their department by giving access, more access to the public. a lot of administrators actually said they saw more benefit, more culture change in their department by allowing public access than they saw harm to their officers, which is a really different story than you hear from the Right. No, I, I agree with that. And I, I think what's bad about some of these issues we deal with is the perception is that they're going to have this huge outbreak if you're honest with the public. Uh, well, not really. It, at least it gives a sense of accountability uh, to the public and to these communities to say, look, we have no problem telling you the truth. The problem is that's not the case. And if it was everything was above board by these officers, and again, not all officers, I'll, I'll reiterate that throughout this show, uh, we got some good officers out there, but that's not our discussion tonight. To the officers that are doing their job and are honoring their badge, a just cause, AJC Radio, we salute you. We thank you for your protection. Without you, we couldn't make it from day to day in this country without law enforcement. It is necessary. But if you don't talk about the folks that are abusing the badge, 
guess what? It spreads like cancer. Like a wildfire in a forest, it just keeps spreading, and that is what solidifies culture and the culture behavior, which is so difficult uh, to break. Well, there's a certain irony here. It's almost uh, we have these agencies that are responsible for holding people accountable for their actions. And then the hypocrisy that you don't want to be held accountable for your actions is there's a certain, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's almost weird. It's very strange how you can point the finger at somebody else and say, okay, well, you guys are breaking the law. We're going to hold you uh, responsible and accountable to the fullest extent of the law. But they don't want to be held to the same standard of law, they just feel like they ha- they always have an excuse for why they tend that why they why their behavior should be accused because they wear a badge in many cases, and I, it, I think that's one thing that really inflames the public against sometimes against police departments. You go kill somebody, you always seem to have an excuse, but if the other person tries to come up with and say, well, this is what happened. I felt threatened for my life. Uh, uh, you used too much force that we're going to, we're going to uh, throw the book at you and send you to prison uh, for, for a dozen uh, or, or, or life, give you a life sentence. And I think uh, until uh, law enforcement can actually say it's better for law enforcement, if their officers are held accountable, it builds greater respect from the public. And over the long term, uh, they'll be more highly respected, and there will be a lot less tension between the communities and public uh, if if they actually can find the courage to hold themselves accountable. It's, it's really a cowardly thing that you don't want to hold your officers accountable, and it just sends a, a very sick message uh, to the public overall. I'd just like to get uh, the guest uh, comments on that. Let's start Let's start really no, quick. Let me, gonna... Go ahead, Mr. Henderson. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, and, and, I, and I take the point that uh, police officers uh, are not being held accountable by a system that holds everyone else accountable. I think if we understand history, we understand that the system that we're asking to hold police officers accountable was not designed to hold police officers accountable. And I think we also need to understand that the police are an expression or a microcosm of what our society is like. Uh, there is not a facet of American life or around the world or an institution in this country that does not have structural racism and discrimination inherent in it. The police are no exception. The only difference is the microscope happens to be on the policeman. We go into medicine, we find very similar issues. We go into business, we find very similar realities. We go into education, we, we find the same thing in every institution in the country. Unfortunately, the police are the focus of the conversation, but also the reality of it is until we address a society that does not believe that black people are, are equal, until we have a society that, that believes that everyone should be treated the same and have the same constitutional protections, you're going to have a system and its institutions respond to people accordingly. So to be able to isolate policing and expect them to do something that society has not been able to do 
it's almost disingenuous on our part because we're not really thinking about this. But in reality, the police are doing just what society does every day. I just want to interject and say that. No, appreciate that. Uh, Commander, your thoughts on that before we go to Rachel? Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Uh, I, I agree with Dr. Henderson, and, and I'm really happy to hear the comments from both professors because it's very enlightening to me. And, you know, I heard uh, Dr. Henderson say earlier, I am, out, I am outnumbered. Well, I've been outnumbered before, and I'm still here. So <laughs> what we're, I'm going to push forward with this. I, I, those statistics do not bother me in any, in any way. Um, and he, but he's right. It is an us versus them mentality when it comes to citizens and the law enforcement officers who are sworn to serve them. And I would just say that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how we get there as far as like the uh, institutional racism that, that he, that he talks about. Um, but it, it should not be in our institutions. So people from the inside, like myself have to stand up and say, we are not going to stand for this any longer. This is, this is not an institutional, uh, this is not the way institutions should be run. And we're just not going to accept that anymore. No, absolutely. Rachel, your thoughts. I'll just share two comments. Um, one is that I totally agree that, you know, the the microscope in some ways is on police, but it's a societal issue. And I'll put some of the blame on my own profession. I'm a member of the legal profession. I, I teach aspiring lawyers. And lawyers are part of the reason that police have so little structural accountability. Um, you hear about qualified immunity, and you hear about laws that allow the police to, uh, or that make it really difficult to hold police officers accountable, and lawyers have to look at ourselves. So I just taught a class this semester of controversies and policing, and one of the things I was constantly talking about with my students is um, I think there are real reasons to um, put I don't know if you want to call it blame, but responsibility on law enforcement, yes. So I don't want to denigrate that. I think there are major problems with law enforcement. But they are also, I do totally agree that they are a piece of a larger societal issue and that we all, whatever field we're in, need to look in at our own field and say, how have we, we enabled these problems? No, absolutely uh, right. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I'll also, stop there. Yeah, I also think that, you know, we oftentimes look at policing as if it's a new phenomenon. And we have to understand that policing is always shaped by society, right? Like if you look at policing in the South, uh, slavery had a major influence on the way policing was expressed. Uh, you look at uh, policing up North, industrialization uh, heavily influenced the way policing operated. And when you're looking at the cases that, you know, the case you were talking about earlier, uh, you understand how it's possible for police to do that because the police in certain parts of the country were trained and, and to not necessarily see and treat everyone the same. We understand that. I think if people understood the, the history of policing in this country, where it came from, how it evolved, 
in what we see today. Let's just look at something as simple as college degrees. We require probation officers and parole officers to have college degrees, but we argue as to why police officers don't. But we understand that police officers who have college degrees are more likely to accept community policing type principles. They're more likely to relate to the community. It helps them with diversity issues. There are fundamental structural issues that we aren't asking the police because we have a system whereby people are able to Monday morning quarterback and also use emotion and mysticism to project what they think should happen in policing. Well, good point. Uh, good point with that. Uh, yes, Samson. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of good points are getting brought up here and I think uh, both the professors uh, bring a lot to the table when, when they talk about how it is systemic and to, you know, there's a there's a phrase that says if if we don't learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And so uh, Professor Anderson actually brings up a great point. Like if you don't know where this all came from, how are we going to change it? You know, I mean, it it is uh, it is unfortunately in us versus them. It is unfortunately the you know seemingly like the the deck is stacked against those that actually want true and honest reform. But it has to start somewhere. Well, if you look at look the com- we have never had. Uh, such conversations uh, regarding the police uh, as of the death of George Floyd. Absolutely. Uh, That was the, I believe, uh, the springboard, if you will. It's not that George, the death of George Floyd is a new act that took place. It happened to be technology that was able to capture such a killing. The question is, is that we have seen what killings have we not been made aware of because technology simply was not there to capture it. When you have a man on the street begging for his life as he dies, in the time of a pandemic where people are forced at home, they were forced to watch a killing. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is what's prompted the conversation. Uh, Not that the death of African Americans, we had Eric Gardner's death happen some years ago. We had Michael Brown's death. We had Walter Scott. We had Breonna Taylor uh, of recent. Uh, these things continue to happen. And as people were beginning to capture now these type of horrific actions by law enforcement. Absolutely. And I, and I think that the technology is the thing that's going to help stem the tide as far as this goes and actually help turn this, this whole thing towards an actual reform. Because the fact of the matter is, is yeah. This has been going on for, you know, hundreds of years. You know, minorities have been, you know, taken advantage of by people in in authoritative or policing uh, positions. And, again, it was all swept under the rug because it was uh, your word versus ours. But, you know, again, the advent of technology has now prevented that, like you just mentioned. Well, well, let me pose this question to our panel here. Uh, People say, look, everybody's uh, motivated right now because George Floyd is a new – situation, at least to, to the country. Uh, the conviction of, of Derek Chauvin, uh, people felt we had taken a step. Uh, my question to the panel is, how significant is the death of George Floyd and what we saw with the verdict with Derek Chauvin? I, I is it enough? The, the, is it enough to prompt us to, to I, stick to this? Go ahead, Mr. Dr. No, uh, Dr. I, Henderson. I, 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 let me say this, you know, yep. it's, it's symbolism, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to mark a point in time. 
Well, we all will remember where we were when we saw the video of George Floyd. We'll remember when Derek Chauvin was convicted. But we still are under the illusion. Let me give you an example. Yep. This year alone, 457 white people have been killed by the police. I haven't seen any of that on the news. I haven't seen a funeral on TV of a white person killed by the police. But they've killed 457. But they only show the black and Hispanic victims on TV. So we still have an illusion that this is, a, this is solely a race issue. This is a police power issue. This is a history of discrimination issue. And as long as we allow race to cloud our discussion of right and wrong, there are going to be people who are going to call balls and strikes. But unfortunately, we're never going to deal with the issue that the police have abused their power in many of these places. And we don't know how to bring them back into play. Good point. Good point, mate. Uh, Rachel? Sure. Well, I'm I'm here in Minneapolis, and so it's been um, it's been a year of heartbreak and tragedy here for sure, and obviously the whole country was affected. But um, to that question of does the conviction of Derek Chauvin, what does it mean, or what is the what is how much does the murder of George Floyd affect these issues? Um, you know, what I would say is that it was a necessary step, but it's a very minor piece. I think the question was, is it enough? And my answer would be absolutely not. I think it mattered that Derek Chauvin was convicted. You could call it accountability. Some people would call it justice. I'm not sure if I could go there. Um, I think it mattered, but a criminal prosecution for an obvious murder is a small, small step to a much bigger issue of systemic failures to hold police accountable in some major ways, like when they commit murder, but in also just the day-to-day indignities that happen to so many people. So I think it's a, um, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish its importance for, for people in Minneapolis and I'm sure elsewhere, but it was a huge deal when those guilty verdicts were read, but it's not enough. No, no. I, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I do think, um, yeah, to see a blatant killer, I mean, it was clear murder. Now, to see that and because he was convicted, I think the scary part for a lot of African-Americans and minorities was that they held their breath. That in spite of the evidence that that is in every uh, possible perception that you could take it and angle that you see it from, uh, clear murder, clear murder. And I, I agree with you, Rachel, on that because uh, it's like somebody going in a mass shooting goes into a theater as they did in Aurora. He shoots up the theater. He comes out looking crazy. He's claiming he's he's not all there. He's carrying magazines and, and, and uh, assault rifles out with him from the shooting. His conviction wouldn't be a major step in time. Uh, our history shows uh, many serial killers who were killers on this level. Uh, I think if I'm hearing Rachel right, that's what you know what what where she's kind of leaning towards. If I'm if I'm hearing that right, Rachel. Um, so it does make sense. And then what do we do when the when it gets quiet again? 
what happens when it gets quiet? We go back to status quo. And guess what we'll do? You'll have somebody else, some other cop shooting, killing, whatever it is. And then you'll have protests for a little while. But this is perception. You have some protests for a while. People are saying, we, and you know what I get tired of hearing? And I know we have to talk. That's kind of what we do here. Is that we need to have this discussion. After every killing. Well, it's good that we're having this discussion. When does the killing stop? When is legislation passed? When is political correctness thrown out the window and something is getting done? I think that's critically important. Let me get the commander's thoughts real quick. Thank you. I'd like to respond to both professors and some of the, the comments that they made. Um, I, I disagree with uh, uh, Dr. Henderson when, when he says that the, jo the George Floyd prosecution, conviction, and detention of that officer was symbolism. I, I don't want to believe that, and, and the reason why is because I, I want to believe that this, is, this arrest is a watershed moment for law enforcement to take notice. I, I don't want to believe it's symbolism. I want to believe that it's more. And to his point regarding uh, 457 white people killed by law enforcement and they all, and the news media only reports on black and Hispanic killings, from my perspective, it is not uh, – it's, it's more of an issue of the national media machine because I've worked in the media, and I understand that national media machines only care about one thing. And that is ratings, because ratings equal dollars. And I think someone said earlier, policing is sh uh, shaped by society. Well, police officers are supposed to be part of society, not shaped by it. I think they should be a, a cross section of society, and, and that's the that's you know that's the gold standard. And I know we're all imperfect, and we're not going to get there necessarily. But uh, you know what? Good leadership solves the problem of integrity issues in law enforcement. Well, and to that point, um, I think Dr. Henderson, uh, his point was that, and I said, I don't know if anybody's read the New Jim Crow, but that the, the history of this country and how we arrived here uh, and the anecdotal nature of the George Floyd killing it is anecdotal in, in many respects. It does somewhat shock the conscience uh, of a lot of people because they just haven't seen it on this level uh, that an officer would actually do something uh, of this magnitude. But uh, what we can appreciate is Dr. Henderson's uh, perspective of history and his recognition that culture Culture is something that is so hard to change because it's, it's embedded into the very psyche and hearts of uh, police officers and embedded in, in the psyche and heart of American society, whether it be uh, conscious, subconscious, or unconscious. Some of these things exist. Uh, I'm reminded of a study and, and, and uh, the Dr. Henderson, uh, going back to his point, and that I saw in the New Jim Crow when they when they were presenting pictures of African Americans as well as white people pulling something from their pockets, where both blacks 
uh, and whites assumed or perceived that the black person was actually pulling out a gun. So that uh, when it was a cell phone and, and they, they tended to uh, give the white person the benefit of the doubt that they, they were not pulling out a gun, but they were pulling out a cell phone. Now, this reaction came by, uh, by both blacks and whites, which shows you that the mental conditioning of what we've seen on television has affected people, whether they know it or not. There's some not, and many times they're not even conscious of this stuff, which has created the structural uh, problems that Dr. Henderson is talking about that has to be addressed across the board, and if they are addressed, uh, along with the moral degradation in this society, then uh, culturally uh, we can start to change, but it's still, uh, uh, that's slow cooking at best. So, um, and if if the panel could respond to that, uh, uh, after Lamont uh, chimes in, I'd like to hear, hear a response to that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, Dr. Henderson and, and to Rachel and um, uh, uh, Commander Couch, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with a closing segment as uh, as we are beginning to be pushed up against the clock a little bit. Uh, I want you to answer, David. If if you want, we can go in and answer that now. Uh, take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with some with some closing remarks. We are going to respect your time tonight. Uh, so, uh, okay. Rachel, go ahead. I'll start with you, and, and Dr. Henderson. I'm going to come to you, and Commander. Okay. We'll close out with the answer to David's question on this. Go ahead. Sure, I'll give a I'll just give a quick response. I agree that it's a you know history influences who we are today, and I'll say that um, I think certain communities and particularly communities of color have been trying to raise the alarm about issues in policing for many decades, and it's only really in the past roughly seven years since the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri that much of the rest of the country has been waking up. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm hopeful that this is a watershed moment, but I'm also aware that there's there's centuries of history to deal with and change won't come easily. Well, thank you for that. And a good yeah. point made, Rachel. Go ahead, Dr. I, 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 I want to say this. I think that, you know, the, the research has been very clear that the Derek Chauvin conviction changed nothing about police behavior. Uh, in fact, during the trial, uh, police officers shot and killed a, a young man just 10 miles from the actual trial. Uh, you saw an immediate dip in shootings and then it shot right back up to normal uh, rates around the country. Uh, the conviction of one police officer is not going to change uh, a system that has created what we see. And I think any other assessment of that is counter to what the research has shown us, but also what history has shown us. It's going to take a lot more than a conviction of one police officer for murder in the history of this country. In fact, that's what that was. Uh, they're going to take, it's going to take more police officers held accountable it's going to take more prosecutors to be held accountable. It's going to take more judges to be held accountable. And quite frankly, it's going to take more conversations uh, to convince people that the reality of it is we have a criminal justice system that treats people differently based upon uh, the color of their skin. And until we accept that fact of reality, uh, we're having nothing more than academic conversations. Good point. Dr. Commander. Anderson, this is yeah, Dr. Henderson, I could not agree with you more. 
Um, I am always conscious of the subjective uh, sentiment of the people that law enforcement serves. And, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what the facts are. If that's their perception, that is real. That is real to them. And so that should be acknowledged. And, you know, I would hope that you would agree with me that the George Floyd case is sparking a national debate and hopefully an outcome where change is going to be realized because that's my mission and my goal. And, and I won't stop until I can't anymore. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think again, it is sparking a national conversation. We know this research has shown us that, that philanthropists have dumped millions of dollars into racial justice, okay? But that hasn't changed the reality of race in this country. It sparked more conversations, but we have not seen the relationship between those conversations and structural change or dismantling of structural racism in the country. We got to figure out how to turn those conversations into actual tangible change. Oh, absolutely right. I, I couldn't agree more with all three of the uh, the comments here. And, and, and optimi optimism is there. Uh, because we've never seen a response to uh, what we saw around the globe to the George Floyd, Floyd killing. And maybe that gives a false um, narrative in part that we have people marching and protesting at the death of, 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 of George Floyd in almost every continent across the globe everybody. Uh, you've got Australia people in numbers we've never seen before. Uh, no other killing had we seen that on that fashion before, thus probably sparking the optimism meter to a higher level perhaps than the reality uh, in part. And, and again, to the commander's efforts, uh, we don't, we're not going to get nowhere until we start doing something. Uh, and then to Professor uh, uh, Dr. Henderson's position, uh, pump the brakes. You got to pump the brakes on this one because we're not there yet. We got to get there. And that's about us working together and, and having dialogue such as this. I want to come back with closing remarks. If you guys can bear with us a few more minutes, I want to come back, get closing remarks from Dr. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Dr. Henderson, uh, Professor Moran, and then the commander. Uh, as we respect their time this evening, uh, taking their time to join us in this important conversation. It's been informative uh, and I'm sure refreshing to all of our listeners across the globe. Uh, this is AJC Radio. The lack of transparency um, in law enforcement. Man, we got, we got some things to talk about, but we got some actions that need to happen. It comes a point. Uh, you got to get up and leave the house to go to work. And uh, no matter what we talk about here tonight, Who's going to get up and take action? It has to happen. And we have three uh, very important folks that are chiming in on that very conversation. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention to the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. 
In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. It doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself in the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind, but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised. Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. 
And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, where I'll tell you what, the discussion in this studio tonight has been above and beyond uh, diversified, if you will, with the three guests that we have on this show. Uh, Dr. Henderson, uh, Professor of School of Public Affairs, Director, Center for Justice Research, Texas Southern University. Uh, we have Rachel Moran, Associate Professor of Law, University of St. Thomas, Minnesota School of Law, and of course, our commander and friend, Greg Crouch. Uh, given some, um, some, some insight to this, and again, Commander Crouch is the commander uh, of Keller County Sheriff's Department, uh, and that is, that is his uh, uh, position. He's been on this show a few times. He's, he's chimed in tonight. We appreciate all of you guys uh, taking time tonight. Again, we talked, we said to the commander a couple weeks ago, I'm, I promise you, you're going to look up at the clock and wonder, is this over that quick? That's kind of where we're at right now <laughs> in this discussion. Uh, and I can't say thank you enough, Mr. Uh, Dr. Henderson, uh, uh, Professor Moran. Uh, I think the conversation has been good, and I, I opened the door that you guys can maybe come back uh, at your uh, convenience and, and have further discussions with us. I think you offer a lot uh, to the conversation, and we appreciate you taking time again out of your schedules uh, to be part of this conversation. We do appreciate it. Um, and I do want to get closing thoughts from each of you. Uh, look, we got an uphill climb here. Uh, the challenges are clear, uh, and unless we come together, doc, uh, Dr. Henderson made it clear and made a good point. Uh, it's going to take everybody, the kitchen sink, the back door, the laundry room, everything, thrown into this conversation uh, to get things done. It's going to take some serious work on every individual that, that puts their hat into this, into this fight. Uh, Dr. Henderson, give us your thoughts. How do we get there? What are some steps we can take now uh, that brings us to that end? You know, I think one, you know, we keep having these conversations, Professor Moran and the commander, you know, we recognize that racism exists in all, all forms, but number one, we, we have to be an ally. Uh, we have to model inclusion and be compassionate and respectful of other people. Uh, we, we have to make sure that we spread accurate information. Uh, we also need to avoid stereotypes and understand our own biases and perception of other people. But but ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to be able to respect people when they say they have a problem and understand that sometimes, you know, speaking up uh, has consequences. We've got to be willing to, to accept those consequences. But at the end of the day, if we aren't students of history, uh, we miss an opportunity that's happened before us to fix the problem. No, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Henderson, and, and be safe Thank out you. there and, and continue success in what you do. We'll definitely be in touch offline, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Professor Moran, please. Sure. I'll say as my parting words, I would just encourage people to think um, less about the bad apple and more about the tree. So we love to talk about how somebody like Derek Chauvin was a bad apple, and he probably was. But um, we really need to be thinking bigger about how do we change systems? How do we change? Yes, I think we need great leadership in policing, and that does make a real difference. 
But we also need to be thinking about how do we put even well-intentioned people who think they're, you know, policing for good reasons, um, they can still cause harm. They can cause harm as a result of poor training. They can cause harm as a result of implicit biases. They can still, uh, they can cause harm just doing what they're told to do, making arrests. And so how do we think bigger picture about changing what we expect police to do and how we train them to do that, rather than just focusing on the metaphorical bad apples. Very good point, Professor uh, Moran, and, and, and continued success with your students. Uh, they got a good example there that, that at least is paving the way uh, to something that is good. We appreciate your efforts and what you do with giving back. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. And Commander, last but not least, uh, your closing thoughts on this conversation. You already taken steps to better the situation. How do we continue to do that? I, I would echo what Professor Moran and uh, Dr. Henderson said. You know, and I would remind everybody too. This is a complicated issue. It's not unsolvable. Police are human beings. Police should be a slice of the community, and they should be part of the community. So for everyone listening out there, please do this. Demand more of your police leadership. Keep up this momentum and model integrity to everyone around you. This is not necessarily a majority police power issue in my opinion because I know a lot of officers and I know the inside. This is an integrity issue. And, yes. and I would echo what Professor Moran said. It, let's think less about the bad apple and more about the tree. The tree is where the issue is. She's exactly right. And thank you, Commander, for that. Give your best to your wife, your family. Uh, be safe out there as you're out there on the front lines as well. Uh, we appreciate you taking time. I know you couldn't make it tonight, but the fact uh, you took the time to call into this show and let your voice be heard. Uh, it's, it's very, very much appreciated. We appreciate you so much. Expect you, hopefully, we're trying to get you here next week. Uh, we'll deal with that uh, as the week develops. But we appreciate you, and have a good rest of your evening, okay? My, my pleasure, and thank you for the sentiments, and I, I'm looking forward to being back in the studio. Okay, take care. Have a good night. Okay, there you have it, folks. Uh, conversations that needed to be had. Uh, uh, I believe we're up against the clock right now. Uh, and uh, this conversation, David, um, uh, they come from different perspectives, but yet the same. Uh, looking for answers and solutions to a very troubled problem, troubled situation. Your your closing thoughts on that? Well, thank you. Uh, one thing Dr. Henson pointed out is the societal issue, and it's a microcosm of our society uh, and the way people view people and view other races and stereotypes and Quite honestly, just the moral, overall moral degradation in this country, I think, has, and the destruction of family has, has made it suffer overall. I think we just need to get back to some basic, I, I would say, Christian principles to guide, to guide this nation. Absolutely right. It's all of our hosts here, uh, your contribution tonight. Thank you so much for your input into the conversation. Uh, again, in our own backyard, Detective Brian Corrado, uh, the key person. Uh, in a federal lawsuit filed against the Colorado Springs Police Department, KRDO reported a story 
uh, and they reported it well. Very special thanks to Chelsea Brentzel, who reported that story. We're going out with that being played. We'll see you next time. This is AJC Radio. Good night. A predominantly black church in Colorado Springs is accusing police and the El Paso County District Attorney's Office of racial and religious discrimination. The Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has filed a federal lawsuit claiming authorities didn't properly investigate a $20,000 theft. Chief investigative reporter Chelsea Brinsel is live outside the church on Windchime Place to explain. Chelsea. Bart and Lauren, this all started with church members here who say they were trying to help out a family in need. They paid to put up the family in an apartment and then furnished it. And then when the family cut ties with the church, the lawsuit says they took off with the furniture and police failed to properly investigate. A 23-page lawsuit filed in federal court by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church accuses Colorado Springs Police and the El Paso County District Attorney's Office of violating church members' civil and religious rights. It was so outrageous, uh, so without merit, we felt that this was a personal targeted attack against the church and its parishioners. The case centers around what took place at an apartment the church paid for and allowed a struggling family to stay at. The lawsuit says in August, the church learned that the family was in violation of the church apartment lease regarding the possession and use of a firearm to threaten an individual. The church says it advised the family of the violation and gave them 30 days notice to move out, stating that they needed to leave the $20,000 worth of furniture and other church property inside. But when that 30 days was up, the family was still there. Church members went to the property to change the locks. The lawsuit claims the family granted them permission to enter the apartment. But shortly after, they say a tenant brandished a gun and a young boy came out with a baseball bat. Church members say they immediately left and called police. The church vice president says police never contacted them for an interview about what happened. But police quickly turned suspicion to the church members and charged them with several felony crimes, including burglary and stalking related to that day. Eventually, the family living in the church apartment moved out and the $20,000 worth of church property was gone. The Colorado Springs Fellowship claims police never investigated their report about the alleged theft. According to the lawsuit, the church says defendants racially profiled the plaintiffs and assumed, at least partly because of their race, that they presented an enhanced threat to public safety. They looked the other way. They did nothing. And to this day, they have not been arrested. They have not been charged. That's unequal justice. The El Paso County District Attorney's Office declined to comment on this lawsuit, telling 13 investigates that there is an ongoing criminal case against church members. The Colorado Springs Police Department did not respond to our request for comment. Reporting live in Colorado Springs, Chelsea Brenzel, 13 investigates.